to In the Booth, a podcast by the Frederick News Post. My name is Jillian Natulsik, and I cover education. In this series, I'm sitting down with each of the 16 candidates for the Frederick County Board of Education. It's a more crowded field than ever. There's been a lot of money poured into the race so far, and we thought it was important to sit down with each local candidate and ask them about the most important issues facing Frederick County public schools. Today, my guest is Liz Barrett. She's one of two incumbents in the race, first elected in 2014 and re-elected in 2018. Liz told me about how she would prioritize special education reform if elected and what she's looking forward to about FCPS's next superintendent. Hope you all enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, primary elections are July 19th and early voting begins July 7th. Today we have Liz Barrett. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So for listeners who might not be familiar with you and your previous campaigns, can you just sort of introduce yourself? What town do you live in? How long have you been on the board? Basic stuff. Yeah, great. Thank you again. Um, So I was first elected in 2014. Uh, I was reelected to the board in 2018. And after a lot of consideration um, and right now with the momentum we have in Frederick County with... um, uh, hopefully COVID waning and a new superintendent on the way, I decided to uh, to run for a third term. And I grew up in Myersville and moved away for a while and, uh, you know, did college and graduate school and law school and worked and then decided that I really wanted to, uh, really wanted to have my kids here in Frederick County. And uh, so my wife and I have three kids. We have a high schooler. Um, a middle schooler who's wrapping up, and we have an elementary schooler. And uh, I'm really a big believer in public education. What kind of factors went into your decision when you were trying to decide whether you were going to run? It has been um, a very tough couple of years in public education, uh, and I've seen uh, the impacts on our students, uh, their families, and certainly our teachers and staff and administrators uh, it, I had to take a step back and just make sure that I was, um, I felt my presence on the board could make a positive impact. And those were really the top factors. It is a huge responsibility. And I felt it every day of the last eight years to make policy and budget decisions for 45,000 students and all the taxpayers in Frederick County and all of our employees. Yeah. So as you go into this next term, you're going to be serving, if you're reelected, alongside um, a new superintendent, the first one that we've had here in over a decade. Um, So I'm asking everybody how you would plan to work with Dr. Dyson and what kinds of things you think might be an opportunity to change or improve as we sort of enter this new chapter with a new leader. I I could not be more excited. We have um, a tremendous opportunity with Dr. Dyson. Certainly, I had served all of my, you know, almost eight years with Dr. Albin as the superintendent, and it's no surprise to anybody that um, I, you know, um, I won't dwell on this, but I think the uh, the style of kind of defensiveness and a lack of continuous improvement um, really held our system back. And so I am extremely excited because um, I, as a board member, um, sat in, worked on the selection process, and obviously 
was part of the selection of Dr. Dyson. And I think she um, brings not only enthusiasm and a lot of experience, but she brings a sense of urgency. And not urgency like she's going to blow the whole thing up, but urgency in terms of being able to quickly identify the areas that we need to improve and then build coalitions within the school system and the community to solve those problems. And that is what we need at this very moment. Issues like literacy um, at all levels um, is one thing that is an absolute necessity in public education. It's a civil right. We've got to get back to that and focus hard on those issues um, and really start to look at uh, the way we focus on uh, the student's day, student wellness. Um, and I don't mean wellness in terms of like this fluffy idea of wellness. I mean really trying to do the right thing for students and the people in our buildings every single day. Mm -hmm. So as a board member, you've been um, pretty outspoken at times when uh, there are things you think decisions that you don't agree with or, or maybe the process um, you don't think is as smooth as it could be. So um, can you talk to me a little bit about what achievements you're both most proud of on the board over the, these years that you've served and what things you think the board as a whole could focus on or, or improve in terms of its, its process or its decision making in these next years? Yes, um, I am very proud of the way our board came together to select a superintendent. I am very proud of our board's work to make immediate changes in FCPS when the Department of Justice uh, investigation was unearthed. I am particularly proud of my continuous focus on students and people. Um, so anytime that there's the perception that I am challenging, I check myself and I ask myself, am I doing this because of students? And if I can go to bed at night knowing that, then I feel like it's my job to be the advocate and um, to be responsible to the senior citizen taxpayer, you know, who's on a fixed income. When most of our budget in Frederick County goes to public schools and our kids are our most valuable resource, and we have 6,000 teachers and staff, you know, it's my job to be, to be fired up about it. And I do believe that to be true. And I, um, I, I think the core mission of public education is, should be handled by experienced educators. But at the same time, having worked in private industry, there are certain things that where performance is measured, and I'm not talking about, you know, the number of uh, papers a teacher grades. I'm talking about basic metrics about looking at our literacy rates, really trying to stop talking about equity and really talk about outcomes. And I think um, one of the things that I do feel proud of is that I've tried to push, and I've been successful sometimes in moving the system toward um, being able to gauge progress. Hmm. Um, and definitely, certainly lots of things to work on. You know, I have, um, I would like our system to be able to have hard conversations and do it in a way that there's not the defensiveness. 
and um, I hope that the new superintendent is able to help change that culture. I certainly, um, you know, I haven't always agreed with my colleagues. Um, I do think uh, I have a lot of respect for all of them and all of the colleagues that I've served with. I'm proud that I've built coalitions for people from across the political spectrum on the board, particularly around um, special education students and um, the budget. Hmm. Can you talk to me about some of the specific things you said? There have been a few instances where you feel like you have been instrumental in sort of pushing the system to maybe measure things differently or or talk about things more openly. What are some of those things you're talking about? You know, two years ago when COVID started, I recognized that we had a group of public educators whose job is public education trying to manage a pandemic. Hmm. And that what that's not in their skill set, right? Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be, right? There, you know, you get distracted from your core mission because we have this swirling pandemic. And over and over again, I encourage the superintendent to hire, you know, someone to manage the logistics, to find someone, so everybody else in the system could focus on serving students, mm-hmm. and also to take the weight of all of those logistics off of our teachers and staff, because. It wasn't the teaching of students. It was all the logistics of, you know, setting up virtual school and, you know, the Google Meet and cleaning buildings and our custodians and our food service workers and having somebody who's actually trained in those areas would have been essential. And finally, you know, Dr. Marco, after Dr. Alvin left. And, you know, I wanted to say finally, and but at the same time, to me, it was emblematic of, okay, we're in a moment now where hopefully we can get out of this defensive posture and this, well, this is the way it's always been done. And I hope that's been my voice because we don't always need to do it how it's always been done. And we're looking at a you know, just a modern workforce right now. We're looking at millennials. We're looking at Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And these students are not walking into higher education without some skepticism. They're not walking into, you know, careers expecting to stay and work 20 years. They're not expecting to go to the office every day. And it's that time when I don't think we should be ringing a bell seven times a day for everybody to move at the same time and do the same things. And I think we could really reinvent the way Frederick County does public education right now. We have a new superintendent. We have this uh, kind of interesting post-COVID time. And we could invent it in such a way that students could really, you know, find the joy. And, um, And our teachers and staff could be renewed without having to do some of the old-fashioned school things that we've all been doing since 1950. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Uh, So a minute or two ago, you mentioned the DOJ investigation, and that's something that I'm asking everyone about as well. So, you know, you have a unique perspective compared to some of the other candidates in that you were on the board when this all came out. Um, how, How have you tried to react to it since you learned about it, and what What kinds of things would you try to do as you continue to navigate the impacts of that and um, just any changes to special education in the future if you're reelected? Yeah, um, I think the DOJ report was um, 
one of the most, and I have you to thank for informing me about it. And I think the fact that um, sitting board members were unaware of uh, that settlement, uh, were unaware, is is really emblematic of some of the challenges I've faced as a board member um, with Dr. Albin as superintendent. And um, just that lack of lack of transparency and I've often said there were times I just didn't have the information I needed to do the job I was elected to do. Um, so the first thing is that I read that report and I felt so acutely for the students who and their families, and I felt acutely for our teachers and staff. Mm -hmm. Because to me, there is the resource issue of... Um, people doing what they're what they've been trained to do people doing what uh, is the culture and people doing what they need to do because there's not enough staff or resources and um, also not having the bandwidth to really like be more aware of um, you know students needs before they amplify and so, uh, you know, my, my major thing is just to say sorry to people and to say sorry, first of all, for not knowing. Um, and then sorry um, that, you know, children were hurt and families were hurt and our teachers and staff were put in positions where they were hurt. And um, there's, no, there's no blame on my part to teachers and staff. The blame is... Um, it needs to be transformed in just like um, in a way where we're strategically solving this. And I think Dr. Marco, uh, to his credit, has has implemented some good changes, but we need to be far more uh, strategic and systemic about looking at uh, the programs our students are in, um, how well they're served by the specific programs, and um, you know, my, my one of my biggest goals, I'll tell you, is that we have a huge population of children um, who are, we have tremendous neurodiversity in Frederick County. We have uh, many, many autistic children. We have many children with other uh, ADHD um, and other varieties of neurodiversity. And I think we have this model where our goal is uh, to sort of make everybody fit into some sort of traditional school environment. And I don't think our workplaces are doing that anymore. And I think um, this situation, also the DOJ situation reminds me that we can be expanding programs and making sure that um, everybody's comfortable at school and everybody's safe and everybody can be themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think um, this, you know, and I, I absolutely, I was so frustrated because I felt like nobody in FCPS was saying sorry to people. And mm. that's um, really problematic. Yeah. And that's the way we, we destroyed trust and then we keep destroying it when we don't say we're sorry. So I've tried to say sorry and I wish, I wish the school system had said sorry. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, switching gears entirely. Okay. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the um, changes to the health curriculum and the way that that discussion has 
played out in the community over <laughs> okay. the last couple of weeks. Um, you've made it pretty clear where you stand that you support the, the curriculum changes um, or I guess the curriculum framework changes. The curriculum has not been written yet. But um, yeah, just talk to me about um, sort of that issue of, of making lessons more inclusive of sexual identities, mm-hmm. gender identities, but also the way that it's been framed and the way that it's been talked about by um, some folks in our community. Yeah, I was I was a little, uh, I, I've watched this sort of culture war thing happen in school systems across the country. And I thought, oh, that won't happen in Frederick County because we're different. And that's one of the things that I really love about Frederick County because I've always felt like um, with regard to our school system, we all come together, right? And I absolutely recognize parents uh, being decision makers over, um, you know, content and determining what's appropriate for their children based on their values and their beliefs, their culture, um, you know, perhaps their religion. Those things are really valuable, right? I mean, the parents, parents and families are students first educators. And um, as a parent myself, I believe that. At the same time, I think that folks, for whatever reason, latched on to what I think are very benign um, kind of just recognitions of everybody's different, right? And they latched on to those um, to sort of divide the community and create this cultural divide. And it was really hard to see. Um, and that being said, the process was, it's, it's still such in its infancy in terms of curriculum development. Like there's not a curriculum, there's a set of standards from the state that, you know, I think the one thing that I've taken away from this is let's do a better job proactively about sharing and making more transparent how curriculum is developed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's confusing. It is a little confusing, and it's a long process. And I think I was the liaison to the Family Life Advisory Committee uh, before Mr. Bass was, so maybe last year. And I don't even the years run together at this point, but um, I was so impressed with those volunteers and how thoughtfully and sensitively they managed so many topics. And when you start to dig in to some of the health data that the FLAC committee looks at, you know, about mental health or risky behaviors among our youth, some of the CDC youth risk behavioral study data, you know, that's, it's tough stuff. But we need people who are committed to doing it. And I felt like the atmosphere where folks came to that meeting to yell at volunteers and was so upsetting and so unproductive. Um, I absolutely welcome the most difficult public comment. Like our board's job is to take it. Uh, My skin is thick and that's my job. But it's not the job of volunteers in the community to get the brunt of that. They're not the deciders. The board is. And, um, but again, I, you know, there's, there's much more time to look at the actual curriculum that comes out of that. But um, it's important that every family, that every family, every family structure is welcomed and respected. That's part of what our Frederick County Public Schools mission is. And that students um, 
are able to express themselves as as they wish. You know, we're supposed to meet everybody, every child where they're at. So, yeah. Well, uh, much less um, controversial, I would say, but still <laughs> a topic that uh, gets quite a lot of public comment is staff compensation and how it compares to neighboring counties, neighboring jurisdictions, uh, especially when it comes to that that fact and its impact on recruitment and retention. So I know that's something that you've talked about a lot as well. Um, can you talk to me about your any concerns you have there in terms of our our process for recruiting new teachers, um, getting them to stay once they once they arrive, and uh, any ideas or strategies you can think of that you might want to work on to sort of mitigate this, uh, I don't want to call it an exodus, but this, um, this sort of loss of, of educators that we're seeing from our system and, and in general from the profession. Yeah, um, so uh, I just want to be very clear that every opportunity that I've had in the last seven, almost eight years to put as much money in the salary resource pool for teachers, staff, and all of our support staff and administrators, I have done so. I have always voted in a way that balances the shared needs of students, teachers, and staff. And they are, they go hand in hand. I mean, the idea of public school is dependent on our um, food service workers, custodians, our special education instructional assistants, and our teachers and our administrators and everybody else who I'm leaving out right now because I can't remember. <laughs> um, but everybody is integral. And so it's one of the, you know, my focuses. I was I was the only board member to oppose, you know, at the beginning of COVID, like laying off bus drivers. And I was frustrated because I thought, what a move that doesn't value people. And sure enough, we had a bus driver shortage. And, you know, my job is not to say I told you so, but I think we broke trust. I think our board broke trust. And um, I don't think bus drivers want to come running back to Frederick County, um, you know, when something like that happens and they can drive for Washington County. So that's a serious issue. Um, teachers and staff are overworked. They have more responsibilities than they can keep track of. Um, and with shortages, they're always covering for other people. I talk to teachers and staff every week. And we can continue to increase compensation. And I have no doubt that our board will do that. Um, you know, this current budget cycle, I think, if, um, if we have come to a ratified contract, um, we'd be looking at, uh, you know, something like a 7% increase. Yeah. And when you look across, you know, the world right now, that's a that's a decent size increase. Is it is it still incremental in terms of the progress we need to make? Yes, but I am committed to that work always. Um, and I was particularly proud of the fact that I have been a board member who's tried to push the superintendent to create a budget. That is actually what we need, not what she thought we would get. And this was one of the years, and, you know, the county executive and the county council have always delivered for us since <laughs> my first year on the board. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, a, I was a member, I think my first year we had to cut $14 million. Last night we had to cut about eight. Yeah. 
Um, out of us, we had a $550 million budget my first year, I believe, wow. 556. So, and that's something I keep in my mind too, because we need to compensate people, housing prices in Frederick County. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to live across the street from a teacher who lived in the basement of his parents' house. Mm. And I got in my car every day and I thought about that. And I thought, like, I can't be a part of this, right? Mm-hmm. So I've mm-hmm. tried not to be. Yeah. Uh, another staffing topic um, that I think is really interesting and important to talk about is um, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years, Frederick County's uh, student population has gotten a lot more racially and ethnically diverse. And it makes sense that the educator's population hasn't mirrored that trend because, you know, people get hired, they stay there for a long time. Hopefully that's the goal. Um, but the result is, and I know you've talked about this on the board and the system has actually been pretty open about this, um, that the population of educators does not mirror the, the student population really at all. It's not even really close. Um, and so there's this discussion about maybe hiring someone in the HR department to specifically focus on minority recruitment. Um, do you support that? And, and what kind of things do you think we could be doing to, to get toward that goal of a, an educator population that more closely resembles the students they're serving? Yeah, I, I think um, I just want to say before I answer the question directly is that the idea that we have uh, a workforce that mirrors uh, our student population is not some, you know, like kind of diversity pipe pipe dream. There there are data um, that demonstrate that, you know, if a third grade student who's black or Latino has a teacher at some point in their career who looks like them, who they can identify with with their family, perhaps, that they have a far better chance of not only success, but graduation. I mean, that's our job, right? So if we have that information, we have to do it for so many reasons, and it's the right thing to do. Now, here's the big thing. There's no magic formula to this, except for the fact that prior to the arrival of the new HR director, You've heard me say probably a million times, you know, HR is still run in public schools like it's 1975. People apply to be substitutes in Frederick County, qualified people, and they have to show their high school transcripts. Okay. No, no, it's a real thing. I didn't know that. Yeah. So who, who has their high school transcripts? Why would we put barriers up when we desperately need people? And, you know, before we decide that we need, you know, a specific recruiter for, you know, qualified candidates who are minorities, how about we just, like, fix HR? And I don't mean to be grumpy and critical, but it's, it's ridiculous stuff that I've been hearing about the whole time I've been on the board. And... That's where we need leadership in central office because that's operational stuff that says, you know what, we're going to have a modern workforce. In last night's board meeting, or maybe yesterday afternoon's board meeting, the the afternoon kind of ran together, Dr. Alavita was, um, you know, um, gosh, no, I'm thinking of another, I'm thinking of another circumstance. But what I've been hearing more and more is that our staff is pursuing candidates and 
they're making phone calls and saying, you know, they're actively going after people. And that's what modern HR does, right? They're pursuing talent. We're not waiting with an antiquated website for people to come and fill out our papers. And we're going to get so many more qualified candidates across the spectrum. And once we streamline those processes, then I think we look carefully and see what effects we've gotten. You know, I, I think we have to look a lot at, you know, our, 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 teaching, our teaching graduates um, going to job fairs. Are they doing that? What's happening online? And I know that our new HR director is um, really focused on that. I'm so complimentary of her. I think she's, I think she's got it. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where that goes. Okay. Um, you have spoken a lot both today and also just in general about, um, your desire for more transparency, more openness with the community. Um, and that's one of the things that stuck out to me in the survey findings from the firm that was responsible for hiring Dr. Dyson or for finding her. Um, and I'm wondering what kind of concrete thoughts you might have on ways to improve either transparency from the school system itself from the board, um, just sort of the perception of, of how communication happens there and, and how we can kind of involve more people in that discussion, because I know it's something that seems to be pretty important to you. Yeah, it's definitely important. And I think um, the only way that we're going to be successful is if we have um, the community's trust. And that doesn't mean that we always do what the community wants or a community wants. What it means is that people have a chance to be heard and they feel like that their opinions are valued. We are in this conversation nationally right now where there's people who are saying that, you know, parents don't have a say and parents' rights are the most important thing. And I think beyond sort of the political factionism of that, we have to give credence to the fact that there are definitely people in the community who feel they've not been heard. And there are people who've been uh, alienated. And that does not work for public education, right? Because we need families, You cannot find a PTA in Frederick County or a PTO where they're not struggling to find volunteers. And it's not because parents don't care. It's because, you know, like, why should I spend time? The conversation about the CAC, right? Our board did a terrible job. I own it. I was one of the members. We did a terrible job. We had volunteers. CAC for listeners who might not know. Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. It's the Citizens Advisory Council. I always forget if it's council or Mm -hmm. committee, but group of of volunteers who advise the board and yeah and you know i sit now as the liaison on the special education citizens advisory committee and um you know those folks at ccac said they had been um trying to provide recommendations for the last couple of years around some of the issues that ended up in the doj report so we definitely need to be listening. And I think one of the major groups we never listen to very well are teachers and staff. You know, and I think probably the best example, like the most concrete example of that was when COVID started and teachers were um, basically like dragging their laptops around the classrooms, trying to be virtual and hybrid and everything at the same time. And somebody decided they should have carts, right? Well, the carts arrived and they were, you know, like up to my knees <laughs> and they're gone, right? They're in, a, they're in a warehouse somewhere. So it's lost tax dollars. That wasn't a board decision, but it was a decision that reflected the fact that 
I think a lot of times the school system is perceived as, you know, somebody in central office just telling teachers and staff, administrators, or parents just how it is, right? And so communication for too long has been just sending information out and saying, well, we're communicating because we told you. But that's not what communication is. And it's certainly not what the, um, when you're a public-facing organization that's responsible for people's kids and has 6,000 very valuable employees, it's not the way you do business. And um, I hope that I've been a voice in in trying to reinvent that. I'm excited about our uh, new public affairs director. Um, And I think we have to communicate with empathy and we have to say sorry, and we have to not be defensive. Because when you're defensive, you cannot improve. And those things are just 100% valuable, and I, we need to change that culture. You know, education's about getting stuff wrong a couple times before you get it right. And, you know, we try to teach our kids that, but you also have to say, like, let's do better, let's get it right more often, and let's be very transparent with the public when we don't. All right. So as we get ready to wrap up here, um, this is an extremely crowded field this year in this election. Um, There are 16 candidates, which is more than we've had here in Frederick County, I believe ever. But, you know, I would have to go back a long time to make sure. But definitely in the last in the last decade or so. So um, can you just tell tell the listeners why you think they should vote for you uh, in July and and what you think um, about your record or your priorities makes you the best choice to, or one of the best choices to, to keep serving on this board? Yes, I, um, I am, uh, I, I consider it truly um, a tremendous responsibility and an honor to represent um, our citizens on the Board of Education. I think we only have these kids in our schools for, you know, X number of years. I have an urgency about me Um, I have a tremendous commitment. I have a deep empathy and care. I work really, really hard. I read, I research. I have coffee with educators and bus drivers and custodians um, and listen. I always will listen. Um, I think my record is clear. I have always tried to speak up for things that I absolutely believe are right. I have tried to be very transparent and clear and direct and firm when I think things are wrong. Um, You know, when things hurt people, whether it's students or staff or teachers or families or communities. And to me, there is absolutely no excuse for us not to constantly try to improve every day and then measure those outcomes, right? Measure those outcomes so we improve things for our kids, but also so we're accountable for tax dollars. So, you know, I, I came on this board because um, one of the first things I realized when I moved back to Frederick years ago now is that I was seeing such a disparity between the growing number of students who are affected by poverty and our homeless student population, and then just this population of students who are um, in that Alice category, the asset limited category, and how significantly that correlated with uh, their educational outcomes. And I thought, okay, I can do something about this. And to do something about that or our other equity issues, 
uh, special education requires just a really laser focus and a tenacity. And I, I have that. Um, and I um, am not ashamed of it. And, um, you know, I'm not here to, I'm not here to, you know, to, to do the kumbaya stuff. And I'm not the person who's going to be, you know, um, shaking hands at every event, but I'm always the person who's going to stand up for kids, who's going to stand up for staff and custodians and food service workers and bus drivers, and certainly for our teachers and for our families. So that's all. All right. Well, Liz Barrett, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you, Jillian. Thank you.